Hey everyone, welcome to Cornerstone Fellowship Church Online. My name is Christian, and as the online campus pastor, I'm glad that you have taken time out by yourself or with loved ones, with roommates, to join us for church today. Jesus has a next step for you, and it is my prayer today that you will take that step. Before we hear a great message from Pastor Diane Rutledge from our Brentwood campus, let's pause as our lead pastor, Steve Matson, addresses some significant events in our country this past week. Thank you, Christian. And yes, I did want to say something today before we enter into worship and studying the Psalms. Um, I, I have just been dumbfounded since what we saw in Minneapolis um, this week. First, I was just, just shocked, and then I was nauseous, and then just disgusted. I can't get the image out of my mind. I hope I never do. That, uh, that police officer with his knee on George Floyd's neck and that impassive look on his face as Floyd pleaded for his life. I can't breathe. Please help me. Help me. I, I honestly don't know what to say. I just wanted to say something. Um, it's been six years since we had the same images. A police officer holding a man down. I can't breathe. Have we made any progress? I just, I, if you're watching today, I want you to know that we, we are or should be grieving this. And if you're a person of color, I, I don't know what to say to you. Why would anything I say <laughs> carry any weight? That's kind of how I feel. You know, it's like I'm leading one of the largest churches in the Bay Area, and yet I feel hopeless today that we're ever going to solve this. The, 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 we saw the opposite of what love requires on the streets of Minneapolis this week. You know, one thing it makes me think about is why the church does exist and why we are so desperately needed. Why the message of Christ to love our neighbors, the message of Christ that God so loved all the world, the same, every skin color. And that's our, that's our gospel, but man, it, it hurts today to think that we haven't had a, a greater impact uh, you know, I'm 62 years old. I, I saw the civil rights movement as a boy. And if I was a person of color, I'd be wondering today, is anyone listening? Is anyone gonna do anything? I would say this, um, I've been motivated again to figure out what I can do. And one of the things I wanted to do was to speak to you today. But another thing is, what else can I do? How can I, uh, how can I hear the cries of uh, people of color? How, how can I put myself in their shoes, even attempt to, in this regard? And, well, one thing I can do is pray. And so that's what we're going to do now before we enter into our service. Um, let's pray now for the family of, of George Floyd. Uh, let's pray for the family of uh, Ahmad Aubrey, others that are grieving senseless death uh, at the hands of people who had guns in their hands. Let's pray for our police officers. Um, there's so many of you in our congregation and we know you. We know that that guy, that policeman in Minneapolis doesn't represent you. We know you're just as angry as the rest of us. We know that this week you're going to face the rage of people on the street calling you a pig and a murderer. And for those of you that are raising children and you're raising a, a brown-skinned child, a black-skinned child, we're praying for your kids that someday the dream that Dr. King had would actually come to place in our country. 
We cry out with the Old Testament prophet, how long? How long, oh God? Father, we come to you now. Our hearts are broken for what we saw, for what we know happened, and even why it happened. Father, we pray that you would bring love to our country instead of this terrible divide. There are so many divides in our country. And even some of our politicians, they play on those divides to, to get our money, to get our votes. Father, we pray that the church would rise up as a, a powerful force and that black pastors and, and brown pastors and, and white pastors would come together and say enough is enough and that we would lead in our communities in ways that say, we see you. Help me, Lord, to seek to understand, to listen, to affirm, to grieve. As if George Floyd is my brother. I pray these things in Christ's precious name. Amen. Okay, well, let's move into our service. Let's sing, let's study the Psalms. But when this service is over, um, plan on doing something this week that reflects how you really feel about all this. And let's all move the needle. Let's do what we can. All right. God bless you. Amen. Let's worship church.
worship. Lift up a shout of praise to God. Let's worship together.
victory. I'm gonna see a victory. For the battle belongs to you, Lord. Just God, we worship you because you have done amazing things. You've done so many great things. We worship you because you are the Lord. You are so good. You have the victory. And God, we rest on that. No matter what comes, we know that you have the ultimate victory, God. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen. Oh, I love our worship team. Such a great way to get our hearts tuned to what God has for us. Music does that. And then another way to worship and praise is through our giving. This past month, Cornerstone's people have been giving and reaching out in such generous ways. One of our Cornerstone Livermore volunteers, for instance, in this uh, very large household, uh, were having a hard time making ends meet. And when the call went out to you to help fill their fridge, people came out in incredible numbers. Entire Costco and Safeway shopping carts filled with fresh groceries and other essentials were left on their doorstep. Uh, donations came in. And then scenarios like this are playing out all over the East Bay. It's such a blessing both to the recipient as well, of course, to people shopping for others. So I would encourage you to become a recurring giver. Many of us mean to be generous, but we're not always sure how to plan for it. So visit cornerstoneweb.org give to set up an account right now or right after the service. All right, let's join Pastor Diane Rutledge right now as we dive into what the writers of the Psalms can teach us about a life lived in praise. Welcome to Cornerstone. church family. My name is Diane Rutledge. I'm a campus pastor at our Brentwood location. And no matter where you're joining from today, I'm so glad that you're here. We're in the final week of our Psalm series. And today we get to talk about praise. Now we're going to be looking at a few different Psalms. But before we get there, I want to share what I discovered about the word praise in the Hebrew language. Now this is fascinating, or maybe it was just to me, but praise has seven different meanings. But when it was translated to English, there was only a couple words to represent these different expressions, and that was praise or thanksgiving. But in the original Hebrew, praise is a complex and multifaceted word. So as the writers were composing these songs and this poetry, they were actually instructing their audience in different ways to express praise to God. Now, when it comes to praise in our world today, it is something that we do often, right? I think it's most often associated with uh, worship when we're at church, like we sing songs of praise to God. But in our daily lives, we also give praise to people, like when they've accomplished something or when they've done something well, we give them praise. And praise is something that we do when we're in nature. Um, my niece recently was out in nature. She was picking flowers and with every flower that she picked, she was like, this is so beautiful. And it was the sweetest thing I've ever seen, but she was giving that flower praise. But praise is also an expression that we use towards God. We say things like, oh, thank God that happened, or oh my God. Now, if you've ever texted me good news, I have definitely responded with PTL. That means praise the Lord, right? And if it's especially good news, I might even throw up like the double hand emoji for a little bit extra emphasis. You with me on that? Well, I wanna ask if you would help me to settle something in this moment because my husband and I are divided on this issue. Does the double hand emoji represent praise hands or double high five? Now, personally, I've always used it for double high fives, but my husband thinks it's exclusively praise hands. So in the chat room right now, I wanna hear from you. Do you think that this emoji is double high fives or praise hands? Now, I'd really appreciate your feedback. I can't wait to hear from Christian about what the results are so that we can settle this argument that it's clearly double high fives. Now, no matter how you feel about the word praise or what connotations you have with this word, um, what's incredible about it is that the writers were making such an incredible emphasis on this word. This is an incredible theme within the book of Psalms. 
Out of the 150 Psalms in our Bible, this word shows up over 180 times. In fact, in the very last Psalm, it says this, let everything that has breath praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Like it wasn't enough for him to just say it once, he had to say it twice. So we can't miss that the original writers were communicating the importance of praise. Now, this is great, but as I was studying, the thought that kept coming into my mind was, I know I give praise to people and like, I know how good it feels when I receive praise, but when do I praise God? Or how do I choose to praise God? And I narrowed it down to three specific things. And there's three things that actually cause me to call out in praise to God. The first one is when I complete something, like when I've accomplished something with His strength, like for example, getting all my children to sleep at the end of the night. You feel me on that, parents? Man, I'm like, thank you, Jesus, praise God. Or when I get through something, I wanna give God praise. Like at the end of this season, when we're finally back to normal, whatever that looks like, I'm gonna praise God. Or when God provides something, like when He brings justice, I wanna praise Him. But as I've reflected on this, I can see that there is a pattern to my praise. And see this pattern, it's based on results of outcome. In other words, if this happens, then I will praise God. And this applies in our daily lives too. Like we are conditioned to only give someone praise when they've done something well or at the end of their achievement. And because of this, when I'm in the middle of something, like when I fail or when I feel like there's no justice, the last thing that I wanna do is praise God. Now maybe you can relate to this. Perhaps you've lost your purpose and you don't feel like you have anything to praise God for. Or maybe there's a prayer that's gone unanswered for so long. You don't want to praise God. You want to challenge Him. Or perhaps praise is just a churchy word that you've heard people say and you don't really connect with it. But what the Psalms teach us about praise, it expands its purpose so that it's not just a response to outcome or limited to Sunday worship, but it's a life source for every person. Now, I mentioned that there are seven Hebrew words for praise. But right now, we're only going to take a look at three of them. And I think that this will help us if we're feeling weary or if we've had misconceptions of what praise is. So go ahead and get your Bibles or your Bible app ready and turn with me to Psalm 28. And this will also be on the screen if you want to follow with me there. Well, the first word I want to look at is Barak. Now, Barak in the Psalms means to kneel in adoration. And we see it throughout the Old Testament, but it just meant to kneel. But when the writers were using it in the Psalms, it meant specifically to kneel in adoration. So we're going to be starting in verse 6 in Psalm 28. And here's what it says. Praise be to the Lord, for he's heard my cry for mercy. The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in him and he helps me. So if we substitute that praise word with the phrase, kneel in adoration, it sounds like this, verse six, kneel to the Lord in adoration, for he has heard my cry for mercy. Now throughout time, kneeling before someone meant simply that you honor them. When someone kneels, it's a position of humility where they show with their body the posture of their mind. But nowadays, kneeling isn't something that is common. And really the only time you see someone kneel is that exciting moment when a man proposes to a woman. I still remember when my husband Clint proposed to me, he got down on one knee and it was just one of the most incredible moments of my life because that posture of him kneeling, it represented that his heart and humility were for me and towards me. Now, I actually have a picture of this moment. Uh, his best friend helped him set up the whole proposal. And if you know my husband, you might not recognize him because he has a lot of hair in this photo, but that's definitely him. But don't worry, Clint, bald is beautiful too. <laughs> Now, when it comes to my praise toward God, kneeling is not something that I actively seek to participate in. During worship, especially in a church setting, I have my typical protocol, like the worship pastor will ask me to stand, and so I'll stand and sing. You know, maybe I'll close my eyes and lift a hand, but I don't feel comfortable or even desire to kneel to sing praises to God. But this Barak praise that the psalmist is describing is very specific in instructing us to actually lower ourselves down to the ground and to sing out in praise to God. Now, why is this position of kneeling so important? Why was there such an emphasis on this? Well, since the beginning of creation, one of the greatest hindrances of man 
and a deeper connection with God is this idea of self-sufficiency. Like it's so easy to go day in and day out living within our own strength, abilities, and wisdom. Now, I've personally struggled with this a lot during quarantine. Uh, When it first hit, I was in crisis mode and I was like, okay, I don't even remember the first couple weeks. And to be honest, I didn't think that this would last as long as it has. But when that reality came that this was gonna be for the long haul, man, it was like my world came crumbling in. And I was so stressed out and so hopeless and just this feeling consumed me. But instead of turning to God during that time for strength or encouragement, I just began to rely heavily on myself and those around me to get me through this time. And it worked for a few weeks until one day I just felt like I was at the end of my rope. See, I didn't have solutions to the problems that we were facing as a church. I didn't have answers to the questions that people were asking. And I felt like I was failing in so many different areas, including homeschooling my children. And the last thing that I wanted to do was praise God during that time. I just remember pushing Him away. But then I just felt this nudge in my heart, just go talk to God. Go tell Him about the things that you're stressed out about. So out of desperation, I locked myself in my room, turned on some worship music as loud as it could go to drown out the noise of my kids running through the house and the worries in my own mind, and I just began talking to God. And before I knew it, I was on my knees just crying, surrendering over all those things that were weighing on my soul, all my fears and doubts, my frustrations and anger, all my insecurities. See, what was happening in that moment as I knelt crying out to God, it was surrender. I was at the end of my rope and I needed to lay down my burdens. See, this is what King David was doing as he was writing the Psalm. He says, I kneel in adoration because you have heard my cry for mercy. When someone cries out for mercy, what do they do? Do they stand or do they kneel? They kneel, right? It's a position of surrender. See, this is what David was doing. And in God's presence, This is also the strongest position that we can be in. This is a position of strength. See, what God is teaching us is that surrender is one of the most beautiful forms of praise. Because there will come a time when our grit and our wit will not be sufficient. There will come a time when your strength fails and the accolades that once sustained you will no longer be there. And the things that shaped your identity, you know, those things will be challenged. And friends, it's in these moments where the strongest position for us to be is not to try harder, but to take a posture of surrender. See, if you've come to a place where you're tired, maybe you're tired of striving, you know, you're tired of trying to prove yourself. Maybe you're tired of trying to hold all the pieces together and put on a good face, but at the cost of your joy and rest. I want to encourage you sometime this week, if it is possible for you, Don't just bow your head and surrender. Don't just say a prayer like this, but actually lower yourself down to the ground and hand over what God or what's weighing on you and let God meet you in that place because we were never meant to live in self-sufficiency, but on dependency of a gracious and caring God. And that's what this Barak praise does. It helps us to surrender and to tell God, you know what? You are God. I am not. And that's the safest place for us to be. All right, well, let's check out our next Hebrew word for praise. Our next word is tauda. Now, this means to lift your hands. And when I think of tauda, we, we say, ta-da, and what do we do? We lift our hands, right? So that helped me to remember this word, tauda. But what's unique about this word is that you're giving thanks for the things he's done, but also you're giving thanks for what he will do. So I call this the in the meantime praise. King David composed some of his most beautiful writings when he was in the meantime. He had been anointed as a young man to become king of Israel, and I'm sure he was stoked about that and thought that it would come with ease. But the process of inheriting that promise, it was filled with delay and disappointment. Now, I bet there's some of you right now that can relate. God's given you this amazing gift or, you know, a promise But the process of seeing that come into fruition, it's frustrating, and it seems like it will never come. Well, this is where King David was as he was writing Psalm 56. 
see, it begins with David expressing his weariness, but in the final verses, his tone changes. Let's go there together. Psalm 56, we're going to be in verse 12, but, but here's how the psalm begins. It says, be merciful to me, God, my God, for my enemies are in hot pursuit all day long. They press their attack, attack against me. My adversaries pursue me. Like he was just, he was so challenged. But then he says this, I am under vows to you, my God. I will present my thank offerings to you. For you have delivered me from death and my feet from stumbling, that I may walk before God in the light of life. Now that phrase in verse 12, where it says thank offerings, that's tauda, Where he is saying to God, like, I acknowledge that you have done things for me and that you have delivered me from my enemies. He says, you know, you've delivered me from death and my feet from stumbling. But what's interesting about this is that the reality of David's situation was that he was in hiding. He was literally on the run from a crazy king and different communities of people that wanted to kill him and everyone associated with him. But here's the key. King David knew the importance of his praise preceding his victory. See, the truth is praising God is easy when he's answered prayers or he's fulfilled promises. But how do you praise God in the middle? And I know this is where some of you are today. You're trying to make progress, but you get knocked down. You know, you're going to counseling, you were amped for it, but it doesn't seem to be working. You know that you were made for more, and I relate to this one so much, but you feel like you're on the bench watching everyone else play the game. See, it's in these moments that our tada praise is our battle cry and it's our weapon. Not because it's going to force God to do what we want Him to do or to move faster, but because it's going to give us perspective in the process. So let's not miss what God is doing in the middle ground. You know, how He's growing you, how He's healing you. And this is important, how He's giving you influence and authority right where you're at. See, when we're standing in the meantime space between what God has said but not yet fulfilled, that's when we're most vulnerable to becoming discouraged. But friends, this Barak praise, it gives us perspective of what God has done, is doing, and what He will do. Now, I just want to point out that some of you may be like, that's great, Diane. It's great that this gives me perspective, but it still doesn't eliminate the difficulty of what I'm going through. And you're so right, it doesn't. But I want to go over one last praise word that I hope will bring us comfort despite the reality of what we're going through. Now, our final word is tehillah. And I gotta be honest, when I first heard that word, I'm Hispanic, so I giggled because it sounds very similar to tequila. But rest assured, I did not say that. But if it helps you to remember it, that's totally okay. Now, tehillah means this. It's a hymn of the spirit or a new song. Now, I was a little confused when I first read that definition, like, what is a new song and a hymn of the Spirit? But one commentary said it this way, Tehillah is our praise response to the presence of God with us. And one psalm that captures this type of praise so beautifully is found in Psalm 22. And um, this is one of the most well-known psalms in the Bible because this is what Jesus actually cries out as he was in agony on the cross. He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So this psalm, it encompasses both, you know, the struggles of what David was going through, but it's also a prophetic psalm that prophesied about what God would do through his son, Jesus. So I want us to read this in light of Jesus. So in the first um, 20 verses or so, it describes someone abandoned by God. It describes someone being truly being treated like brutally by men. But in the second half comes this strong shift from abandonment to praise and victory. And so we're gonna pick up in verse 25 and this is what it says. From you comes the theme of my praise in the great assembly. Before those who fear you, I will fulfill my vows. Now, if we consider Jesus in this, we see that Jesus is singing his new song. He says, from, from you is the theme of my new song, God. I will praise you in the great assembly as I fulfill my vows to you. But how did he do this? Well, we read in Philippians that even though he was God, 
Like he set aside his authority. He came down from heaven and set aside his position. Like he didn't consider equality with God as something to use for his own advantage. Like he could have called down heaven's angels, armies to wipe out his enemies. But instead, he humbled himself. He became a servant and he became obedient to death on the cross. And why did he do that? He did it to take away our sin. He did that to absorb the wrath of God. And then in return, he made us righteous and he gave us new life. See, the, re the reality of what Jesus accomplished through his death and resurrection, that's our victory songs. That is the presence of God with us. Unlike the psalmist who hoped that one day God would fully restore him, fully restore Israel, our new song is different because we don't praise from a position of hopefully, we praise from a position of victory. See, friends, even if we set aside the frustration of this season, the reality is life in general is filled with discouragement and frustrations. People disappoint us. There are times where we feel alone and we don't know who to trust. We experience a loss that is indescribable. But I want to ask you, can you lift your eyes to your victory in Jesus? Because this is where we're going to find our confidence that no matter what we endure on this side of eternity, it will not defeat us. One day, we will face God, and He will wipe away every tear and restore every sorrow. Now, as I got to this point in my message, I was praying, and um, I feel like there's someone who's listening to this right now, who's at the end of their rope and does not know their victory in Jesus. You've lost sight of that and you're thinking about doing something that is permanent when God wants to give you victory. And so if this is you, I just want you to lean in right now and know that God is with you. He will never forsake you. The only person that ever walked this earth forsaken was Jesus. So I hope that brings encouragement to someone. But see, this victory in Jesus there's no other person in the Bible that anticipated this reunion more and this excitement more than the Apostle Paul. And this is what he writes in um, Romans to the Roman church. He says this in verse um, Romans 8, verse 37. He says, no, in all these things. Now, all these things that he's referring to is the struggles that that church was going through. That church was being persecuted. It says right before that they are considered sheep being brought out to the slaughter. So they were enduring incredible hardships, death, torture. And he says this, know that despite all those things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Oh man, I wanna stand with that same confidence and assurance that Paul had See, Paul was encouraging this community of believers and us today that you will never be fully defeated because we are more than conquerors through Jesus. Who needs this hope today? If you're feeling defeated, I want to ask that you call out to God. Say, God, remind me of my victory. How has Jesus saved me? How have, has he given me new life? Now, maybe you're joining us today and you haven't experienced this victory I'm describing. You're seeking something. Something brought you here today. Well, there's no better time than right now to talk to God about how you want to experience this victory in Jesus. Now, that's intimate between you and God. And God's a pursuer. If you open your heart to Him, He will absolutely pursue you. But if you want to talk to somebody, you can talk to one of our hosts in the chat room, or you can even click on the link. I'm going to ask that they put a link on the screen, and this is going to be some next steps for you and another way for you to connect with somebody about how to take this next step with Jesus. Well, at the beginning of our time together, I talked about three things that caused me to praise God. Right? One was when God helps me to get through something, when He helps me to complete something, and when He gives me something. Now, those are great reasons to praise God, but what we learn from the Psalms and the wisdom of the Psalms is that praise is not something we do at the end. It's what we do in the process. And I think we know this innately as parents or people that work with young children, right? We, we praise them when they're in the middle of learning new skills or when they haven't quite figured things out. 
because praise gives them courage to keep trying. So we praise them. And that's what praise does for us in the process as well. See, it strengthens us and it gives us hope to keep going. So this week, what would it be like if you focused your praise on that Barak praise that surrenders your desire to prove yourself? If you focused on that Tawda praise that is filled with perspective of what God has done, but also what he's doing, and that Tehillah praise that reminds us that we've already won. Our circumstances might not change, but absolutely our mind, body, and soul will be strengthened. Well, in just a minute, we're going to have an opportunity to praise God. And I just want to clarify that praising is not limited to worship. Like, you can praise God, you know, in nature. You can praise God through writing and journaling. You can praise God through art and creation. But praise, and you can even praise God through prayer. But right now, we're going to praise God through song. So don't turn off your service just yet. I want you to sit in this moment and take this opportunity to put into practice the things that we've learned, the things that the Holy Spirit is encouraging us to do. Now, it's okay if you don't have a good voice. My husband doesn't either. But heaven has auto-tune. Jesus loves the sound of your voice. And it's also okay if you're like, Diane, I'm not that whole lift my hands, kneel on the ground kind of personality. Because here's the thing, this is something we were designed to do, so let's not resist our design. Let's surrender that over. No one's watching. If you're with a watch party or if your friends or kids are running around you, that's okay too. Let's get out of our comfort zone and let's just try it. Let's praise God with all we have. Church, I love you. Um, I'm gonna pray for us and then we'll go into our time of worship. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you that you brought it to life. I thank you that you designed us to praise. And it's not because you're this prideful king that wants all the praise, but you know that it's a life source for us, that it's what our souls need to be reminded that you are God and we are not, and that that's a safe place to be. God, we love you. We ask that you would meet us in this place and bring us strength comfort and hope in whatever we're going through. Pray this in Jesus' name.
Thanks for being here today, for setting aside everything for just an hour. And I would assume that some of what you heard today makes you eager to take your next step. Or because of what you experienced today, you decided to just keep walking. We want to help you with that. We have links to all the resources in the chat, in the comments, on our website. And additionally, visit cornerstoneweb.org slash loveothers, where you will find 10 simple things that each Cornerstone member can do right now to start solving racial injustice. I hope that you'll join us again next time and invite a friend. Actually, it's a great time to send the link to the service to someone who has not set foot in a church for a long time, because we're starting a new series next week called Rise Up. And I think that you and everyone in your list of contacts will really connect with it too. We'll talk about resilience and how we can come through difficulty stronger than ever before. God has big plans for us, bigger than we can imagine. So as we look at examples throughout scripture and learn about specific people, we'll discover together how we can rise up to what God has in store for our community and for our lives. Our lead pastor, Steve Matson, will kick us off next weekend. So don't even miss one week. Hope to see you there. I love you. I'm praying for you. I'll stick around in the chat for a while, so come say hello. Thanks for being here.